Arena. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with your WWE Crown Jewel 2021 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, we're here to talk all things WWE in our normal Tuesday show. We'll be talking SmackDown and Raw, but most importantly, we will be breaking down everything on the WWE Crown Jewel card coming up this Thursday at noon Eastern. So obviously that schedule uh, adjustment for WWE is also creating a schedule adjustment here for getting over. We will talk about that in a little bit. We have plenty of show to get to today. So folks, we got to take care of business off the top and remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please, folks, do me a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Take 30, 60, 90 seconds out of your day. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Click that five-star rating and leave a short review to let people know how much you love getting over, why you listen, and why they should listen. And really, this week is as good as any, especially for those of you who may not want to watch this Blood Money in the Sand Six show coming up on Thursday. It's a great reason to listen to us for our ultimate preview and instant analysis podcast, which of course will air Thursday as soon as Crown Jewel goes off the air. Uh, you know, just to kind of fill in the blanks here, this is how Getting Over is going to work this week. We're going to have this show, of course, that you're listening to right now on Tuesday, the WWE Ultimate Preview. We'll be back on Wednesday talking AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and this week's NXT, obviously. Rampage and Dynamite from last week. They both happened over the weekend. Very difficult to kind of get a show together for you before Wednesday. And then, of course, Thursday, we will have the Crown Jewel instant analysis Thursday afternoon. So plenty to get to today. We already reminded you that we're all about the five. We need those five-star ratings and reviews. Let me also remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only so you can tweet at us and send in your thoughts, which we'll read on the show as we are want to do, uh, but to participate in our pre and post show polls ahead of WWE Crown Jewel, you can give us your expectation grade and your post show grade, which factors in to how we discuss the pay per view on this podcast. Normally, you know, we would do a live show on Twitter Spaces because the pay per view is going to start at noon with a pre show at 11. We're not going to do a kickoff show ahead of that. It's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. So, you know, maybe we'll throw in something special. Uh, next week that we'll do on Twitter spaces to kind of make up for that. Cause I do like to make sure we have at least one a month, but it will not be this Thursday for blood money in the sand six. Uh, so yeah, with all that out of the way, let's get onto the show. We're going to do it in three different parts. Uh, as we normally do for the ultimate preview, we're going to do our normal intro, just kind of ruminating about the world of WWE. We'll move into the good, the bad and the ugly, and we will wrap up with the main event of this show. The WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. So I do welcome in uh, vintage Chris Vanini. And Chris, I got to say, it was unfortunate this week that SmackDown was in front of a California crowd that was late to the show. Uh, As Michael Cole said, um, there was a lot of traffic in the area. Fans, unfortunately, missed a great start with the Edge promo, the King of the Rings semifinal match, both very good. It created a weird atmosphere for a SmackDown that was already going to be weird, not being on Fox, being on FS1. But a show to me 
that really delivered. I mean, when WWE wants to put on a good television show, it absolutely can. I think it feels like in order to do that, it needs to handcuff itself almost by ensuring Brock Lesnar's there, which is basically the same thing that happened for that MSG show, which was the last great, not good, there's been other good shows, but the last great WWE television show was the SmackDown and MSG. Here we are basically five weeks later, we get another great one because they felt they needed to uh, moving over to FS1 because of the MLB playoffs. But I thought top to bottom, it was one of their best shows of the entire year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say one of the best of the year, but but they made it feel like it was going to be a big deal. And so they do that by giving you things you want to see. And and they've largely done that for the past month or so, which especially on Raw, which is why we've liked Raw more over the last month, because they're just except for last thing. Yes, except for <laughs> last week. But yeah. they're largely just giving you fun things that you want to see. What a concept. <laughs> and, right. and as a result, it, 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 it happens now, you know, about the crowd. I know SmackDown was at uh, an unspecific area in Southern California, as they said, because I guess they didn't want to say they were in Ontario, California, just like they didn't want to say they were in Raleigh, North Carolina a couple weeks back. <laughs> right. They just, say NC State University. Just right? Southern yeah. California. I, I Just somewhere in that massive area is where SmackDown is. So it's kind of annoying and weird that they do that, but it is what it is. And it was indeed a supersized episode of SmackDown. It was, and we will get to that briefly. I just wanted to explain. The reason I thought it was a great show is we got three, not one, not two, three really good to great wrestling matches on the show. So you can say what you want about the over-reliance on promos, uh, which certainly was the case, and the overselling of Crown Jewel, which it was a go-home show for it. So you have to you know, understand that they're building towards the pay-per-view. But they gave us three separate matches, uh, which we're going to talk about, the Uso Street Fight, the King of the Ring match, and the women's main event. That were bangers, straight up. And if you're going to give me that on a wrestling show, and then you're going to give me an all-time edge promo, and then a really kind of fun Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns contract signing segment, which you know contract signing segments usually are not good at all. Um, all those things together, to me, make a great show. Yeah, no, I, I, I think also with SmackDown, which has been the better show for a long time now having that extra half hour just kind of allowed them to give you some more stuff. The, the one thing we've said about one of the biggest criticism we, we've had of SmackDown for a while now is just not giving enough time to certain things. Like there's so much good stuff. matches just, wrestling, yeah, not giving enough time to wrestling. Yeah. So if you, and three hours is too long of a show, but I don't know, two and a half when it's all pretty good, that, that would, that was a pretty good, I think length in combination of what they did. It, it, yeah, I think that's true, but the other thing you could say, too, is just like there were so many video recap packages on that show, and they were all really good. Don't get me wrong. I know you're trying to sell Crown Jewel, but to me, it's annoying when you get a long recap package. It's very good. And then, and then immediately you have someone cut a promo about the exact same thing. If you want to air a four minute promo package and have it stand on its own because those people are not going to be on the show that week, that's fine. But to do that and then immediately come back with a you know, eight minute promo and then and then later in the show, do another six minute promo on the same match. And I don't know if those times are accurate. I'm just kind of saying that's a lot of overkill for me. Right. And and because it was a two and a half hour show, it was acceptable because we had so much other meat on the bone. But in a normal two hour show, that leads to a match being six minutes when it should really be 12. 
And because they had that extra time, the three main matches booked for the show, and and you only really need for a two-hour show three tentpole matches, an opening match, a middle match, and a main event. Everything else around it, if you want a five-minute, six-minute match, you know, promo segments, fun stuff, that's fine. But what SmackDown has not often given us recently is those three tentpole matches. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's two things that we want to talk about regarding SmackDown as it relates to AEW and Rampage. One is the ratings, which we'll talk about in a second. The other is Tony Khan made a statement. He made two statements uh, before all this shit actually went down. The first was that he knew Rampage would have the better, quote, wrestling show head-to-head with SmackDown. And then the second, of course, was he hoped they were competitive and thought they maybe and may even beat WWE in ratings and the demo and things like that. I have to tell you, on that first point, I thought the, to my utter surprise, truly, I thought the wrestling on SmackDown was better than it was on Rampage because we got three really high quality matches on SmackDown and on Rampage, we just didn't get that. We got one match involving MMA talent. We got CM Punk in a match that was very, very slow. And we got a women's match that was just okay. I thought SmackDown totally delivered and over delivered in terms of the wrestling aspect of the show in comparison to Rampage. Well, I mean, Rampage, they're going to they're gonna say, well, you also had Dan- Brian Anderson versus Suzuki on the buy and They're going to count that. wasn't on TV, well, though. I, mean, I know. I'm just I'm just saying they're going to say there was great wrestling. And if you're it, it was it was it, it was a great match. But yeah, no, SmackDown had great wrestling. And and this was the biggest problem I had when, when CM Punk, you know, arrived and, and and basically said WWE wasn't wrestling was that. It just, it simply wasn't true. Like, WWE has a lot of good wrestling. Not everything they do is wrestling, but they do do good wrestling. Right. Like, on a match-by-match basis, if, let's say, we graded every match that both companies did, and we averaged it out, and we can say especially the main roster, or actually now it probably doesn't matter because NXT, the wrestling, is not great anyway, but over the last year, the main roster, the average AEW television match, we'd probably grade as a higher quality than the average WWE match. But that does not mean that WWE does not put on good wrestling matches, even if the show as a whole is sports entertainment. Yep, exactly. And and, and we saw that with SmackDown with some really good matches. And and credit to WWE for giving them the time to do that for the most part. We'll get into some of it. Right. Um, And and, and, um, and it it was good. And, And so, yeah, again, yeah, WWE has wrestling and it does have good wrestling at times and it's okay to say that it is right it's it's okay to say that uh now as far as the ratings go that's the part we need to talk about next there's two ways to look at it of course there's the overall smackdown against rampage which you know whatever they mostly aired at different time slots except for that 30 minute head-to-head and that 30 minute head-to-head is the second way of course to look at it so the first is overall smack in terms of overall rating smackdown beat uh, Rampage. And again, I don't even believe in the word beat because they weren't actually head to head for the majority of their shows. But SmackDown had a higher overall rating than Rampage did on Friday. However, in the demo, which is the all important advertiser thing that they care about, they were even, which is pretty shocking in some degree. In some other degree, in my opinion, at least not that shocking because SmackDown was literally not on its normal channel. And I know many people will say, well, that doesn't really matter. People can still watch it. Number one, it's in far fewer homes, FS1, than Fox. It is not in 
the same number of homes as a broadcast. And it's not even in the same number of homes as a TNT. I think it's eight to 10 million fewer homes. But look, here's the truth. SmackDown lost 1.4, 1.3 million viewers. They lost more viewers on Friday than they had watched the show. So if you don't think that matters, you're being disingenuous. Now, that all said, WWE is the one who decided to go 30 minutes head-to-head with Rampage, not the other way around. WWE, in that 30-minute slot after 10 p.m., which when it's on FS1 has previously been backstage or talking smack, that's what they would throw in that time slot. In this case, they didn't do that. They did a supersized SmackDown. And not only that, they did commercial-free, they backloaded it with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and Becky Lynch and I think it was Sasha Banks for the main event. Again, commercial-free. That definitely, of course, had more viewers than Rampage in that 30 minutes, but it lost the demo to a CM Punk-Daniel Garcia match and the Bunny versus Ruby Soho. That is astonishing to me. I don't know that it says too much long-term, but the fact that it happened at all really did surprise me. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And I, I had I watched the Brian Danielson-Suzuki match I had it up on YouTube while SmackDown was going on and it peaked at it, it peaked at the end. It, it, it continually grew as it went on leading into Rampage on TV to where that match, I think toward the end, peaked at about 96,000 viewers on impressive. YouTube. That, yeah. that is pretty good. Um, so, you know, Tony Khan wanted to rally the AEW fans to to make this a big deal and, and, and have this first head to head. And. And it largely worked in that there are some things they can puff their chest out about. Now, are, are some people doing it a bit too much or are certain people overreacting to this in general? Uh, yes, but, <laughs> you know, that's what a wrestling battle is. And so I'm fine with that. I, I, I like that they that they're going against each other. I like that. Top Dollar and the Young Bucks are having a little feud. It's it, it, it's fun. Just don't take it to. Just don't take it to the level where it's like it's insulting if you watch one over the other or or, or it, it gets very vitriolic on wrestling Twitter, certainly. It, uh, not just there. Yeah. I mean, Reddit, too. Um, yeah. It's, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's notable. It's worth AEW crowing about. Now, are they crowing about a very specific small subset given some pretty legitimate extenuating circumstances? They are, right? Like SmackDown had to move to FS1. They had to air 30 minutes after what they were normally on. They were going up both shows. We're going up against the MLB playoffs and college football. So, you know, maybe the MLB playoffs affect WWE more than they do AEW, right? Maybe college football affects AEW more than it does WWE. We don't know all these empirical things. And anyone who tries to... um create conclusions from it, I think is being ridiculous. I, I think Mr. You-Know-Who probably is already out there crowing about, oh, this is shocking and embarrassing for WWE. It, it's really not. But what it is, again, is an unforced error by WWE. Not just doing the extra half hour, but doing the extra half hour, making it commercial free and backloading the entire part of your show onto it. Because if they had done this women's match crossing over, let's say, from, I don't know, 9.30 
and they gave them a ton of time and they crossed it over and then they did the contract signing and they gave it a lot of time in the main event. Or maybe if they flipped it, they did the contract signing crossing over from 9.50 to 10.05 and then they did the women's main event after that. If they did some interaction rather than rush them out of the ring between Becky Lynch and Roman Reigns and maybe some stuff happened, I think you have a more compelling reason to stay tuned and watch. But forget even the booking. WWE was the one who chose to do this Mm -hmm. and they, quote unquote, lost. You know, if demo is all you care about. That's their fault. Releasing this talent that we've talked about. It's their fault. These are all things they don't need to do. There's things that, that have happened in this feud, rivalry, war, whatever you want to call it, that WWE had really no control over other than for the last 10 years being a better company. Uh, Daniel Bryan's contract expiring, his choice to leave. CM Punk signing with AEW, that was a relationship that was burned, you know, his choice to go there. Um, but the Malachi Blacks and the and the Miros and a lot of the other things that have happened over this period Ruby of time. Soho's. Ruby Soho's. Ruby Soho. Who was who was opposite Brock and Roman. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Like, that is unforced errors. And this one was another one. It was WWE creating a circumstance where it could be where it could be embarrassed or where it could lose and then losing. Yeah, it, they, 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 they wanted they, they thought and hoped and wanted to bury Rampage on, on Friday night and they didn't do it. And I, I think that's a real tell of, you know, how long this is going to go on and how, you know, AW's here to stay. I think um, I look at it like this. They wanted to bury AEW, but instead of using a shovel, their Fox Smackdown show, they were using like, I don't know, what's that thing that people use for gardens where like, you you know, it's like a shovel, but it's small. Like a hoe or something like that? No, know. not a hoe. Uh, not like a, it's a mini shovel, like a. It's triangular and people garden I call it, a, it. I call it a mini shovel, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, it's like instead of having a large shovel, so you guys can tell I'm not a gardener here. Uh, instead of using a large shovel, they use like a tiny little handheld one that a child would use to make. Yep. Like instead of using a shovel, they use like something a kid would use to make sandcastles. Yep, yep. You, you, you weren't going to doing that on Fox. This Board, metaphor I, is not working for me. But they, 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 wanted, they wanted to make a statement that cable versus cable, they could still put up much bigger numbers in AEW. Right. And overall, they did. But in the demo, they didn't. And I think right. that that should be a bit of a wake up call that their position is not um, not that it's going to change, but that it's not as strong as maybe they thought it was. And also be strategic, too. Like, if you're going to pick a fight, make sure it's one you can win. Why would you put yourself in a situation where you could potentially lose? Yep. What do you yep. think about Tony Khan's reaction to the entire thing? I think he's mostly been annoying. Um, I get I it's it's not that I don't think he shouldn't say anything or that he shouldn't uh, brag about things, but stuff like tweeting at Darren Ravel and and, and kind of just the way he just the way he's presenting things is is just a bit childish. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's yeah, um, you know, you can punch up. Like that's that's a whole point. I think you just got to make sure you look good doing it. And there's just some ways they do it where to me it doesn't work as someone who likes both companies. Now as as people who only like AW, that certainly works and clearly largely worked uh, in this sense. I don't think it's people who like AW. I think it's people who hate WWE, which is 
largely no, I, I what AEW, which is a large part of AEW's fan base, by the way. It is, but but that's I don't you don't want to take your credit from. AEW is doing a lot of good things. No, but I'm saying the people reacting. I'm saying the people reacting to this. Like, oh my God, Tony, you're the best. You know, you're the greatest. You're a king. Those people are, they don't just love AEW. They hate WWE. Oh yeah, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, they, they head to head, they won the demo and and they can, they can brag about it and stuff. I just think, I, I, I think Tony can be, above it a bit more than he is. Although maybe that's not what their audience wants. Well, I go back to like Boiler Room, which I'm sure is another movie you haven't seen, even though it's nope. a classic. You really haven't? Are you serious? Nope. Nope. What what movies did you watch as a teenager? Teenager, that would have been... Like teenager been into, early, into your young college years. Uh, that would, from that been high school through college. Two, that would have been early... That would have been mid-2000s for me. Stuff like... Uh, uh, knocked up, forty year old virgin, that that type of of movie. That was my mid teens, basically. I mean, in two, Brother Room was a two thousand movie. It was made in two thousand. I was in fifth grade at that, at that time, so I don't know if I was quite. Ready okay, that, yeah. that's fair, but I mean, still, you know, seven years later, I would <laughs> in that time period, I, I would think that you'd see it. That's I'm just shocked that you're movie watching. You were too busy watching Star Wars, apparently, and stuff. Yeah, like that. I was. Uh, a shovel for a garden is called a trowel. By the way, I had to look oh, that up, and that it, like it was in my head. I just that's not anything that's on the top of my mind, right? Like you see the word and you're like, oh yeah, of course. But why would you ever say it? Uh, but my point is in bringing up Boiler Room that there's a scene in that movie where uh, Ben Affleck's talking to all the new recruits, and he's like, act as if, right? Act as if your shit don't stink. You've been here before. You've been doing this for 20 years, and Tony Khan is a very successful businessman and a billionaire. And the way he acts, maybe it's a little gimmicky because it was the gimmick that he did on Impact. It seems like it's that that gimmick that he was portraying on Impact is like invading his real life. And yeah. you got to sometimes not mix kayfabe with reality. I love I think the way he responded initially to WWE was slightly childish, but he felt attacked and he wanted to stand up for himself. So, okay, maybe he went a little overboard, but I think some of what he said was okay. It, it, felt, it felt a little too complainy to me. It did. Like, it was like he was like, like throwing you, a fit. You can say, bring it on. You can say, we're going to beat you. But going outlet to outlet to outlet to basically be like, WWE's doing this, WWE's doing this. Like, that was, that was a bit. Right. And then here also, same thing here. It was like, man, I would send a tweet. I'd puff out my chest, right? Throw my shoulders back. And I'd stamp my foot down. And I'd say, I'd say, I'd send one tweet. You see mm-hmm. what happens when you try to compete with us. You know, that's hopefully that's a mistake you don't make again. Something to that context. And then I leave it because I already won. And then I rubbed a little salt in the wound. That's all I need to do. What I don't need to do is literally go on like a rant. Like, see, told you so. Nah, 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 nah. Like, that's how it came off to me. And again, I can't stress enough. This man is a billionaire. He can do whatever he wants, and I'm sure he, he won't even and hear, he may, or even if he does hear, doesn't give a shit about my criticism. He may have point to say that they have more money than Vince McMahon, so they will be able to. Yeah, stick he's, he was literally this. like, "My dad has more money than you. My family yeah. is more is richer than you." Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a little weird and, to me. Yeah, anyway, that's not the reason we're here. Real quick, one last AWWE thing though: the Top Dollar diss track. Did you listen to it? It's really freaking good. I loved it. Yeah, it I really loved good. it. If you have not checked it out, go to Top Doll on, on, on Twitter. He rapped over a beat 
from Young Buck, the rapper, to respond to the whole sneaker Twitter thing, whatever. So you know Young Buck, the rapper, from Cash Money Millionaires, <laughs> from the 99 to the 2000, when you don't watch Boiler Room, you know Young Buck. I found out after the fact. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Which, fair made, enough. which made it which which made it great. But <laughs> wrestling Twitter fights like Tony Khan and stuff, I'm done with that. I want wrestling diss tracks like we just got from from Top Dollar. That was tremendous. If I give you a list of like ten movies that men our age should have seen, would you watch those? Or not even ten, five. Would I? I mean, outside of college football season, yeah. But I'm outside in the off season. That. And yeah, we can like talk about them for five minutes each on this podcast. Like, oh yeah, like boy, what was the other one? I was Rounders. You haven't seen? I was surprised. Have you seen? I've the seen big, parts of it. I know Rounders. But have yeah. you seen the Big Lebowski? Yes. Have you I got seen? Called, I got called Donnie in high school all the time. That sounds about right. Have you? Yeah. Have you seen um, uh, Shawshank Redemption? Not in a long time, but I have seen it. Okay, so Die Hard's the, the trilogy, the first three at least. I don't think I've seen all of them. I've seen the I know I've seen the first one. Okay. I mean, look, I like non like male type of movies, if that makes sense. Like these these all very much appeal to like a certain demographic. Right. But I'm just very surprised you haven't seen the majority of those. So. All right. It's good. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that another time. We got more wrestling to talk (laughs) about here. Um, Look, we talked about Smackdown. We always do a little prelude on Raw, too, before we get into it quickly on Raw before we move on. It was a pretty irrelevant show. It wasn't bad. It, It was eons better than last week because last week was such a piece of trash at the same time i don't think it lived up to the shows that we had the four weeks prior obviously i don't know what the point was of saying so emphatically that new rosters were going to begin after crown jewel uh, for the season premiere of both smackdown and raw when bianca belair the street profits and finn balor not to mention biggie of course who's the champion all showed up a week early that's just nonsensical why would you not close out feuds with the talent you already have, and then save all of this for next week when you have told us that you're going to have this big season premiere and you're going to try to pop a rating. But you you gave us the most important names already this week. Yeah, I'm going to admit I only kind of half-watched Raw last night because there was like multiple breaking college football stories going on. So I saw it. I know what happened, but I was not super invested in it. But you, what do you think about the general point I'm making, though? No, you're right. It it was <laughs> a, a, as a go home show. It was just kind of like it wasn't said, a go. I mean, it w- didn't feel like a go home show. No, that's I think your point of it being kind of irrelevant is uh, is a good way to put it. And it shows you how much they loaded onto the SmackDown side for Crown Jewel, and it shows you how unbalanced the rosters have been because of how loaded it is for the SmackDown side. Yeah, so that, well, me, I mean, at, at this point, I don't even know who's on who anymore because they basically mixed it up. You're seeing the same people most of the time. So. I'm just saying for the last year, like it, it shows you going yeah, into yeah. this, the SmackDown matches are way stronger than the oh, Raw yeah. matches for this show. Yep, no doubt. That, that's and all I was saying. Yep, for sure. Okay, so that, that was a way longer intro than I thought. That means we need to do a semi-speed round of our next segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you look good, the bad, all right, so we'll start with the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The Usos facing the Street Profits in a street fight. Uh, Montez Ford did this insane tope con hero over the ring post. He landed on his feet and went absolutely wild. Then the Profits did a tribute to the Dudley Boys with the Get the Tables spot. Uh, but the Usos hit a double tope suicida into the table. The Usos then battered Dawkins with a kendo stick. 
until Ford caught them with a frog style crossbody. Ford then hit a Van Terminator, a shout out to Rob Van Dam, before Jey Uso caught him with a pop-up Samoan drop, and the crowd was on its feet going wild. The Prophets went for their flying blockbuster. The Usos killed them both with super kicks for a near fall. Ford stopped the doubles Uso splash, Dawkins at the anointment, and Ford did a full rotation frog splash. And man, I thought the titles might change. They had me there in that moment. But Jimmy Uso pulled him out of the ring. He did a double arm spinebuster through a table outside. Sorry, single arm spinebuster. Uh, there was a slight botch with a pinning combination before Dawkins ate three super kicks and a double Uso splash as the champions retained the titles. This was a thrill ride of a match. Two of WWE's, let's say, three or four best tag teams going at it. It was nice they gave us this match one last time with the Profits leaving for Raw. Obviously, they had to be the ones who lost. Still, exceptionally fun. I went four stars and an A-. minus. Do I even need to say it? Of course, this was good. Yeah, no, I, I didn't expect a title change coming in, but as the match played out... Yeah, they got me and thought it might happen. These guys are great together. You could have these guys fight every week, and, and I'm going to like it. They, they have a great chemistry with them, just like they do with the New Day. And when WWE has great tag teams and puts them together, it was the case with NXT for a while, too. It's the best thing they do, you know, when they, when they have these really good tag teams and let them go. Wish they would do that more often, but uh, yeah, this is great. Quickly moving over to Raw, we had the Raw Women's Championship on the line, Charlotte Flair against Bianca Belair. Flair opened the show angry. She didn't get a farewell party. She said Belair was entitled because she's getting two title matches in one week. Bianca said Flair was throwing a temper tantrum and that Bianca's proven she has she deserves title matches. Charlotte attacked her but avoided a KOD as Belair missed a handstand move and credit to her for doing it in heels, which is crazy. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't imagine um, I thought it was a weak segment to open the show. What frustrated me is Bianca beat Charlotte via disqualification three weeks ago. So there was ample reason to have the title match, but they never actually directly mentioned it. All they needed to say was she beat you. She deserves a chance at the title. Uh, Charlotte gave her same complaints to Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville later. They didn't say it, um, but she also promised she would remain Raw Women's Champion even after going to SmackDown. Also, we had Nikki Ash really excited to welcome Belair to Raw while Rhea Ripley mostly just stood there. The same weird short interaction with them that they did last week with John Morrison. Anything you kind of want to say about this before we talk about the match? Uh, nope. Okay, so the match started. They did a mirror image dropkick and kip up with a really cool spot, showed off their athleticism a ton. This may be the most purely athletic women's pairing for a match in WWE history. I couldn't get that out of my mm -hmm. head while I was watching both of them. It's not saying it was the best match in WWE history, but from an athlete standpoint, Flair and Belair, they may be like one and two. Um, Flair threw yep. Belair over the announce table and got busted open. She missed a handspring moonsault, but hit her standing moonsault. Uh, the crowd was chanting about eight minutes into the match. Belair hit a spine buster and threw Flair over the table as retribution. Flair then threw herself over the top rope for a huge splash outside. Flair countered a glam slam, but Belair caught her for a near fall. Charlotte knocked her off the top rope and hit a moonsault outside. Belair delivered a modified glam slam for a near fall. There were a bunch of counters before Charlotte hit a spear, but Belair kicked out at 2.8. The crowd popped huge again. Uh, Bianca avoided a moonsault and threw Charlotte 270 degrees with a release belly-to-back suplex for an incredible spot and 2.8 count. 
Belair then hit a slightly delayed sunset flip powerbomb off the top rope for another near fall. And Charlotte used a chair out of nowhere with five seconds left on TV for an absurd disqualification. I assume they rushed that finish because time was running out. Bianca was looking directly off screen. You could tell like someone was telling her speed it up. Um, but regardless of the speed and how it ended so abruptly, what a horrible finish to a incredible wrestling match. It really took away from it. This is what American women's wrestling can be. And I separate American from Japanese in this situation just because it's, it's a totally different style, Joshi wrestling. But for American women's wrestling, we had two insanely athletic, explosive women competing head to head. It was an absolute blast. It was a total banger. It was every bit as good as any men's match can be. And despite all of that, and them giving it ample time, a main event segment, I think it was at least 20 minutes or right around that area, they gave us the worst possible finish, a finish that took away from my full enjoyment of this match. Now, I presume we're going to have a rematch next Monday where Belair wins and DeVille and Pierce are like, hey, Charlotte, you know, screw you. You may be on the other brand. You have our title. You cheated last week. We're putting you in a title match anyway. She complains. She loses the title and she has an out or something like that and goes over to SmackDown. But if you're going to do that anyway, why not just change the title here? Or why not create the reason for the championship match on Raw, do a number one contendership where, where Belair fights someone and then just have the match one time next week. Stop with this DQ bullshit. But man, the match itself was great. I honestly was on the way to giving this an A plus if they did a title change. So I can't go A plus. I'm saying 4.25 stars and an A for the work. It would have easily been an A plus if it finished clean. I'm going to still go with good for the segment because, I mean, it was good. The match was awesome. The finish doesn't ruin the entire thing, but what a disappointing finish. It, it, it really highlights kind of what the women's championship pictures look like right now in that there are some incredible wrestlers who are being paired up and putting on really, really good matches, and this was the best one of them all. But... It's so convoluted because of the draft and because Becky's back and because people are moving to different brands or not that they don't know how to like tell the story other than they're just all fighting each other and there'll be interference. There'll be DQs. We can't make anyone look too bad. So we're just going to have a DQ finish after an amazing match. It was an incredible match. It, it was an athletic showcase of two of the best women's wrestlers in the world and everybody was into it, but they just can't pull triggers on certain things because, because of just kind of how convoluted this current situation is after the draft. And so this well, is not, it's not just get. that it's their booking. It's they can't get out of their own way. Booking. Wise. Yeah. Th this was, w th you know, during the pan. Well, over the last couple of months, WWE hasn't really done this. They've given us, real finishes to matches. Bobby Lashley got pinned like three times in a week. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like this Bobby Lashley isn't hurt by that. We can do these things. But then you have a DQ, then you have an interference. I was like, oh, they're going back to the WWE finish the way they do things far too often because they don't want to, they're, they're, they get scared. They get scared. So they do a DQ, but it was still an incredible match. 
So I'm, I, this is certainly a good, but it's just really frustrating that they can't get out of their own way. It's just so, it, it is so frustrating. I think they look at it sometimes like, we'll give them a great match. That'll make them want to tune in next week where we'll give them the great match again with a finish. Or sometimes on the pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, they do it yeah. in uh, two weeks after pay-per-view and then three weeks later, they have that match on the pay-per-view. So that's WWE's mentality. Rather than, hey, let's build to this match. In the meantime, let's make Bianca Belair look good. Let's make Charlotte Flair look good by having them beat other women on the roster. And when they have those matches, let's allow them to wrestle 10, 12 minutes. Let, let's have uh, Bianca Belair go 10 minutes with Natalia and like have Natalia put her over. And, and not, not a roll-up finish, right? And, and then have her go and do this. Instead, even if they do that, Belair rolls up Natalia. Then they get to this match. It's a DQ. And then two weeks later, we get a rematch. And maybe Charlotte retains. Or maybe Bianca wins, right? And you're satisfied. And you're happy because it's a good match. But it's not great booking. And that's the biggest problem with WWE. They have the potential to give us greatness. We're gonna, I'm going to criticize later in the show the Queen's Crown Tournament again. But you know what else happened? We had... The four best active, healthy women in the company today put on banger matches in the main event of Raw and SmackDown in the same week. As we're shitting on, they're booking for the Queen's Crown Tournament. So why yes. can they give us these matches? And why can't those matches, I'm not asking for bangers. Why can't they be six or seven minutes long where the talent is allowed to actually shine? Yep. It, no, it doesn't make right. sense. Yep. No, you're right. In in it... it, it Kind of stepping back, it's it's awesome that these matches can main event Raw and SmackDown, and they deserve to. And you know we've we've compared it to AEW, where there is almost no women's wrestling of note on the show. Yet, you know that Ruby Soho match did outdraw in the demo. So it's like there is clearly an audience for this kind of stuff among all kinds of wrestling fans. Well, forget it. I, I forget. I don't care about that. No, like, no I'm, but, I'm just saying in general, but, like, like you can do you can do these things and then at the same time do the Queen's Crown nonsense and it's just mind-boggling. Well, that's what I'm that's what I was going to I was going to use your what your comments as a jumping off point. Right. What AEW does not do outside of purposeful squash matches like a Jade Cargill squash, which is understandable. What AEW does not do in its one women segment per week on Dynamite is they don't give us a three-minute match. Yeah. They give us a, usually at a minimum six, but usually a eight to 12-minute match. And is it always good? No. In fact, many times it's not good at all. Uh, but at the same time, they, it's consistent. Whereas with WWE, it's two massive extremes. It's, do we yeah. believe in you as a main eventer? Yes. You can wrestle 15, 20, 25 minutes. Do we not believe in you as a main eventer? Okay, you get two minutes to do whatever you want to do in the ring. Yep. That cannot be how it works. It just can't. It's no. not sustainable. No. And, it's, it's, and we'll, we, we'll get into the Queen's Crown stuff here, but like with, with Liv Morgan, like she has not had a match longer than five minutes outside of the one kickoff show match. Right. And, and, and guess what? The kickoff show match delivered. It did. Exactly. That's a match that could have been on SmackDown every single week, hopefully with different competitors. But that's a match that could be on SmackDown consistently where you'd say, oh, that was a nice mid-card women's match. That deserved to be on television. There was no harm. I didn't turn off my TV, you know? And mm -hmm. it's ridiculous that we can't get that. All right, we got to move on. We got a lot more to talk about. A uh, happy talk over on... Oh, by the way, I should note, um, before we do say this, I have to assume B Bel Air wins this title on Monday, right? I guess. I, I Again, I'm so confused about everything that's playing out here. I, with, with the two championship matches, with the crown jewel stuff, 
I, I, I guess they have to, right? I don't understand. I don't know what else you do. I would think so. I mean, Becky is on her way to Raw. So my thought was Becky loses the title to Sasha in the match. Belair beats Charlotte Flair. And therefore, you have the titles change brands. But they didn't do part one on Monday. So now maybe right. Becky's actually taking the title to Raw. And they're going to do exactly what they did last week and just hand them over to each other. That's what but I'm last wondering. Last year, I mean, that's I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Yeah. Like they did with the tag team stuff. So. I mean, that's like very lazy and unnecessary. When you can do two title changes that were both set up. Belair winning would have been great. What a great way to end Raw. Sasha winning at Crown Jewel would be great. We'll see what they do. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, okay, moving on. Happy talk. Madcap Moss told his awful jokes as Baron Corbin laughed. Rick Boogs interrupted and the crowd got going with Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance. Uh, that was literally how the segment ended. Like they just made the entrance and that's it. Then the Street Profits made their entrance and Boogs kept playing, but he changed to the Profits theme and they were all partying. That was really pretty cool, I gotta say. The Happy Talk segment, straight up ugly, but man, Boogs is so awesome and inserting the Profits with that was cool. It made something truly terrible, entertaining. So ugly for Happy Talk. Overall, I guess I'll say bad because Boog saved it. Yeah, I, I'm the same thing. I the the Madcap Happy Talk just it's it's terrible. It's bad. It's really bad. It is really really boring and bad. Uh, Naomi was scheduled for a match against Sonya Deville. There was a close up of Sonya watching Naomi's entrance as to not reveal her clothes, but she came out in a soup to tell Naomi that she walked out of her office too soon last week. And she's actually fighting Sonya and Shayna Baszler. Sonya told the referee all of them would be legal simultaneously, told him to ring the bell, slapped Naomi at the bell. Uh, Naomi kicked Baszler twice. DeVille caught Naomi with a running knee, beat on her a little bit until Naomi got away and caught Baszler with a few more kicks. When Naomi finally got her hands on Sonya, Baszler put in the Karafuta clutch to knock her out before DeVille stepped on Naomi's chest for the win in two minutes. Now, normally... I'd go on my rant with match time. And yes, this should have been longer. Like even in a two-on-one situation, you can usually make it so the match goes four minutes, right? But just like with Baszler's match last week on Raw, this is appropriate booking for her because she is dominant. It was also a full handicap match, not a two-on-one with a tag handicap match. On top of that, I love the pairing of Sonya Deville and Shayna Baszler. It makes so much sense on so many different levels. Whether it ends up being MVP Bobby Lashley style or, you know, a tag team or just partners who also compete in singles competition, it's a really smart duo that's going to get both of them over even more. So the booking, the storytelling, all of this, I'm actually going to go with good for this segment. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going for good uh, on this. They, they've it, It's another way to kind of build it up to the eventual moment. I wasn't sure how long they were going to drag it out. Instead, they throw in a little twist. And um, yeah, it was it was smart. It, it, it's like it's like a fundamental r- wrestling storyline, essentially. Just kind of have, you know, uh, have a muscle in there to kind of do a lot of your dirty work. And then you, you know, you step in and it's over. So th- this was good. Also, uh, uh, Sonia in the short sleeve dress shirt was a tremendous look. She looked incredible. And, yeah, isn't uh, it funny that segment. she isn't it funny that she can wear that and look awesome, and Corbin wears that with a vest and looks like an idiot. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. She Sonya can just pull anything off. That's the truth. She can. She, yeah. No. Th- th- this is good. I, I liked she, it. She's really good, and you're right. It is the classic storyline of heel avoids face as long as they possibly can, puts obstacles in their way. Eventually, at the very end, gets their comeuppance. And the hope is that once Naomi does beat Deville, um, that she then is vaulted into the main event picture. That that would be the hope, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe Sonya that ends her managerial uh, or authority type of reign that she has. So. We'll see if that transpires. Uh, over back to Raw, we had Austin Theory against Jeff Hardy. Theory stopped R-Truth from going after Reggie, saying the whole thing was silly. R-Truth got in his face and said they'd fight if Theory got permission from his mommy. I actually chuckled at that. I thought it was a funny line. Uh, Truth later said he accepted the challenge for Jeff Hardy, not himself. So very similar to this Sonya Naomi uh, type of deal. Theory took Hardy out with a draping neckbreaker off the ring apron, but Jeff took him out at ringside. Theory then knocked Hardy off the ropes as he attempted a swanton bomb and beat him clean with the ATL in seven minutes. For some reason, he has a good name for his finisher. WWE has not called it out in three matches, I think, that he's had. Theory took a, a selfie and celebrated with Hardy on the canvas. Jeff immediately stood up, hit the twist of fury, deleted the photo, and then took a new selfie of himself taunting Theory. I wish they had done this entire thing just one time, but Hardy putting Theory over on his way out of Raw it's the right thing to do. I'm okay with Jeff as the big time legendary babyface getting that one final pop on Raw to leave the show as well. I just thought it all kind of worked out. It wasn't particularly great in any you know way, but it was good. It wasn't bad. Yeah, no, it, it was good. Wait, what's the name of the finisher? ATL. Oh, yeah, that is a great name. It's a great, great name. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, this was I, I liked what they did with Theory and Hardy the first time. Makes sense to get some comeuppance. It's not like Theory's being pushed to the main event and he needs something right now. So that works. I, th- I think the other thing is we've got a we've got a um, we've got an epidemic of in ring selfies going on right now between Austin Theory and, and Paige Van Zant over on AEW. So it's a lot of taking pictures in the ring. <laughs> and let's not forget here, Tyler Breeze has been doing that shit. I know yep. he's not in in WWE anymore, but my man, you know, did that. That was his gimmick for. <laughs> A long ass time, right? So mm-hmm. good gimmick too. Yeah. Good entrance. Yeah. All right. Uh, and by the way, his name's Austin Theory, and he's from Atlanta, so that's why it's ATL. Uh, anyway, uh, John Morrison was meditating when the Viking Raiders approached. Morrison said he was on a journey and close to finding his chi, which the Raiders didn't understand. They acted like it was a foreign concept to them. I don't. I don't mind the general idea of like a meditation, you know, self fulfilling type of gimmick. But the scripted lines by the Raiders were so atrocious. No one talks like that. Like, whether I like it or not, it's not realistic in any way. Are they going to follow through with this? I don't know. I guess we're going to see what happens with John Morrison. But this was bad. It was bad. I like Morrison. I like seeing him. I I, I hope he's got his own singles gimmick coming up. But... (coughs) I never know what to make of the Viking Raiders, what they are as people or not between this and the, the long stuff they did with the Street Profits. I can never tell if they're like actual Vikings or if they're not. And it's just it, they, they've been very inconsistent and the lines were terrible. They are regular men who lead the Viking lifestyle <laughs> is what is what the gimmick is. The idea. OK, <laughs> OK. Yeah, we don't see we don't see it enough to. Have that consistently. Well, for for explained. Ivar, at least that's real. I mean, he he believes himself to be a modern day Viking, like in his real life. So that, what does it's that even not, mean? It, I mean, he got married to um, 
uh, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. The, you know, part of Riot Squad. Uh, Sarah, uh, Logan. Sarah, Sarah Logan. They had a Viking wedding. Like, it's oh. real. This is what he does. So it's not, it's actually, it is legitimately like real life with the dial turned up for him. So in that vein, it's okay. But the scripted, corny, comedic nature of it is what, you know, rubs me wrong. If they were heels or if they were quote unquote badass faces, which people always talk about, it would work. But being corny jokes as guys their size that are, they're a great tag team. Like when they actually get to wrestle, they're awesome in the ring. It's just such a misuse of them. It's just like with Miro and Rusev. It's very, very similar. It was Rusev a bad character? No, it wasn't. It was this guy largely turned up, but a little bit, you know, going more on the nationality side. But he was turned into a joke. And that's what's happening here too. It was just ridiculous. So WWE, to wrap this segment up, they aired a ton of wrestler video packages of new superstars going to SmackDown and Raw. The two most notable to me that I found very interesting were Kevin Owens getting one for Raw. Given his contract is up in a matter of months, like I think two months or so, maybe three, but they're featuring him and they really promoted him heavily. And Keith Lee being called Bearcat Lee in his graphic with heavy Bearcat imagery, graphics, claws, things like that. Though Corey Graves did call him Keith Bearcat Lee when he was kind of going through the whole thing. Apparently, there was a trademark dispute with Keith Lee over his name. Obviously, WWE wanted to trademark it. He did not want them to. And it's his real name. So he obviously won that. I think this is the solution to the entire thing and not just a forced gimmick change. It's it's forced because WWE wants to be able to trademark something. I don't mind it. I wish they toned down the Bearcat shit, but the name isn't bad. I don't mind claw marks on tights. It looks like he's going to be presented as an absolute beast. And I think if they actually lean into Keith Lee, who, by the way, has looked very good in his recent appearances, slimmed down, operating, you know, um, from a stamina standpoint, I think as well as we've seen him recently, uh, then I think it's going to work. So I don't mind the name. I think, you know, just don't go overboard on it, which unfortunately I think they probably will. Yeah, I, I, I love Bearcat Keith Lee. But they don't seem to be using that. They've done Keith Bearcat Lee or Bearcat Lee. I don't know. I it's it's a small thing, but I feel like Bearcat Keith Lee just flows well. I think I'm gonna be 100 percent okay with it, as long as they never reduce him to just Bearcat. Although I'm sure when they call matches, that's all they're gonna call him because they called Finn Balor the Demon a hundred times. So I'm sure it'll just be Bearcat while he's wrestling. But as long as he still goes by Bearcat Lee. I think I'm going to be ultimately okay with it at the end. All right. So with that all out of the way, let's get into the meat of the show. What we're all here to really talk about WWE crown jewel, blood money in the sand six. And we're going to get into it. Main event style. So Chris, we actually have a loaded card here for WWE crown jewel. I think we have 10 matches. And when you break it down, the three title matches, the main title matches are all really big. We have Seth Rollins against Edge inside Hell in a Cell, Bobby Lashley against Goldberg, No Holds Barred, King of the Ring, Queen's Crown, and then uh, the Raw Tag Team Championship, and then Mansoor versus Mustafa Ali, which obviously is a hometown type of thing in Saudi Arabia. But this is a incredible wrestling card. This is one of the best cards WWE has given us top to bottom 
in a long time. I'm even going to throw in kind of SummerSlam there. Um, SummerSlam was a good card. It wasn't this good. This is probably the best card since WrestleMania. And the question as always is, are they going to deliver top to bottom, which we'll talk about at the end. But just kind of going through it when I was setting this up for the show, I was shocked how good this card is. I mean, it's not just a good card with good matches. There's not there's not stuff on there you don't care about uh, other than maybe Mansur Ali. But but that that's I care was. enough about that, I think. Sure. I, I'm just saying like there's not there's there's no like weak. There's no weak stuff on this. Everything's been built up too. like it's not just great matches. It's just they've told stories and it's like do this more often. You know, we get the bloated cards at WrestleMania and SummerSlam sometimes. This feels like the sweet spot. It does. And, you know, because WWE did not have uh, a pay-per-view scheduled for October, and this is the only show, it allowed them to actually use television to directly build towards this and not build two shows at once, which of course is very important. And they really went all in here because they basically just said, hey, look, you know, we haven't done a show in Saudi. We have a contract with them, I think in a year and a half or at least a year. I, I would have to really go back and look, but we haven't given them anything. We're coming back. We got to come back with a bang. And it's not riddled with the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. It's not riddled with a bald Bret Hart. I mean, uh, a bald Shawn Michaels. Why I said Bret Hart, I have no idea right there. Of course, Bret Hart would not be wrestling for WWE. Um but it's not riddled with a lot of those things, Triple H coming back on basically no training, that a lot of these shows have been decimated by, where even if there's been a couple good matches, you look at it top to bottom and you're like, my God, that's an F pay-per-view or a D minus pay-per-view, which are things that I've definitely said about these crown jewel, blood money in the sand types of shows over the last couple of years. So let's kind of move on uh, to this year's show. Uh, we'll start with the low card. We'll move our way up to the main event. At the very end, we will give you our pre-show grade projection. Of course, you guys will all get the opportunity to contribute that to, to, to us on Twitter, uh, at Getting Overcast. We will do a pre-show poll and a post-show poll on Thursday, where you're going to be able to give us your expectation grade and your final grade. Uh, but we'll do that at the end here. And yeah, let's kind of run right into it. The undercard match, really the only match on the show that is either not for a title or does not have a stipulation of some kind is Mansoor against Mustafa Ali on Raw. Mansoor fought Cedric Alexander. Cedric suplexed Mansoor to hell early. Mansoor flipped out of a backdrop, caught Alexander with a kick and slammed him. Mansoor then flew off the ropes with a neck breaker for a clean one, two, three in about three minutes and 45 seconds. I hated, of course, the match was short. Ali criticized Mansoor for still trying to be a face happy guy and said he was excited to beat him in his hometown. Mansoor finally found some balls, screamed at Ali, and promised to beat him senseless while proving Ali is a sorry excuse for a man. Then he spoke in Arabic, and I don't know what he said. This was whatever. We knew Mansoor would win. We know he's going to win this match against Ali on Crown Jewel. I hated that Cedric was used in this spot, but they wanted to get Mansoor a win ahead of the pay-per-view, so I can accept it. At the end of the day, Mansoor has been impressive in his crown jewel matches because WWE has given him really good wrestlers to work with. The Dolph Ziggler match in particular stands out to me. Ali is certainly one of those great wrestlers. I figure they're going to get 15 minutes with Ali putting him over and will be pleasantly surprised. But, you know, this was what it was on Raw. And like I said, I do think Mansoor is going to actually win the match. 
Yeah, yeah, obviously. I don't. I know you can actually bet on wrestling, but <laughs> this is the most sure thing in the history of wrestling. Um, the, they've done a good job building Mansoor. Like I'm interested in him. I like this stuff with Ali. I wanted them to be a tag team longer, essentially, like go for a bit. But obviously, given the calendar and you know, kind of it was what it was. But um, yeah, obviously the pick is Mansoor, um, and I've I've enjoyed how they've built up to this. Yeah, I agree. Like, I was not ready for this tag team to be split, but it made sense that they were doing the storyline directly to lead up to this match. And the fact that they gave Mansoor a storyline for this match, as opposed to just throwing him in like they did for, um, I think there was a tournament or a Royal Rumble or something that he won, a Battle Royal maybe, uh, and then just giving him a random match with Dolph Ziggler. Like, those things didn't really work. Here, they gave him a storyline. They booked a reason for him to have a match at the show. And I mm-hmm. have a feeling it's going to be a banger of a match. Like, I don't think, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a, a four-star match, you know, or anything like that, but it's going to deserve to be on the pay-per-view. Yeah, and more than, more than anything, he just, he has a story. Like, he's not just yeah. some random dude we don't know anything about. Yeah, so I am actually looking forward to that. Uh, Raw Tag Team Championship, RK-Bro against AJ Styles and Omos. On Raw, we had RK-Bro against the Street Profits in a non-title match. The Prophets cut a promo backstage about coming to Raw, Crown Jewel, AJ Styles, Omos, and RK-Bro. Styles and Omos interrupted, saying if the Prophets hurt RK-Bro, they can shoot to the top of the contenders list when they're champions. The Prophets laughed, and Styles and Omos made fun of their tag team name. RK-Bro later did their fun interaction backstage, with Randy Orton getting Riddle focused on winning their next two matches. As for the match, Riddle hit his floating bro into Angelo Dawkins, and Montez Ford followed with his Tope Cone Hero. Dawkins had a really good hot tag and hit a great double underhook twisting neckbreaker for a near fall. Riddle came back with a ripcord knee. Orton power slammed Ford, who sold it like a stunner. It was awesome. Like, it was like the rock selling the stunner. It was an incredible sell. And then he hit a draping DDT onto Ford. Orton was ready to hit the RKO when Styles' music hit. Omas walked out, and Styles caught Orton with a phenomenal forearm for the DQ. Omas then chokeslammed Riddle into the ring apron, threw Ford, and roundhouse kicked Orton. Normally, I would criticize this DQ, but with all three of these teams still going to be on Raw, they could not have had the Profits or RK-Bro lose. So the question is, why book the match at all? And the answer is, you don't, right? You save right. RK-Bro against Street Profits for a big match maybe next week on the first Raw with all these new teams on it. But despite that, it played into the storyline as payback from Styles when Orton fooled him a couple of weeks ago. So it actually made complete storyline sense. The match was really good. It would have gotten a grade with a real finish. It doesn't here, but I did enjoy what they gave us on Raw. My my biggest complaint with DQs is always when it's an obvious DQ, because just in kayfabe, like, what is the point? Like, I, I get, like, do like some sort of sneaky DQ where you try to cost them and the ref catches it or something. I don't know. Like, the blatant interferences never just really make logical sense, but other than that, yeah, I mean, you summed up pretty well. As far as the match goes, you know, I guess they could change the titles to AJ Styles and Omos. I really don't think there's a reason to. If you look at this new Raw roster, it is absolutely loaded with main event and mid-card talent. So you do not need Riddle and Orton to break up. And the assumption would be that when they lose the titles, that would be part of the breakup, right? Um, because you know it's eventually going to happen. Normally, I hate you know, assuming a breakup for a WWE tag team, but this is a mish, mishmash together tag team. It's, they literally took two singles guys. It's not going to be a permanent team like maybe we hoped the bar would be or something like that. So in this case, 
I think they retain. You come back in, you get a face win on the show. You come back in and you have a really fresh tag team division to work with on Raw. It makes sense. Maybe Styles and Omos can go back to the back of the line. Maybe Styles and Omos are the team that ultimately breaks up. I have RK Bro winning here. Yep, same thing. And at some point, the Styles Omos breakup is going to come. I, 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 I don't. I, I think you can use them in a lot of ways that are not just tag team matches. You know, you, the stuff they did with Omos as the muscle, or AJ trying to do some underhanded things to help him in singles matches. You, you can kind of, you can make them a singles, a tag team of singles, and use them in singles matches moving forward. Um, without necessarily having them in the title picture. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that can lead to a breakup as well. And so WWE we'll should do that more. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason you can't have Styles be Omas's manager while simultaneously Omas is Styles' muscle. Exactly. Right? Like, you can yep. definitely make that work for two separate single storylines. Then they fight people as tag team. They go back to singles feuds. Like, I wish WWE did that more across all of their brands. It's really a miss that they don't frequently do that. Okay, let's move on to the Queen's Crown Tournament. I'm just going to go through both matches. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. they're short. Um, yeah. And then we can talk about it on the back end. On SmackDown, we had Carmella against Zelina Vega in a semifinal. Zelina told Mella she didn't need to wear her mask because she wouldn't hit her in the face. They agreed. There was a bunch of chain wrestling before Mella super kicked Zelina in the face and apologized. Vega got pissed, and Mella wanted a timeout to put on her mask. When she went outside, Liv Morgan was holding it and scared her. Vega then caught Mella with a small package to win in 2 minutes and 42 seconds. The match and the story were fine. We'll talk about the time in a moment. On Raw, Shayna Baszler against Dewdrop in the semifinal. Dewdrop said Baszler is dangerous, but an insecure bully. Zelina then walked out before the bell and put on the queen's gear. Dewdrop caught Baszler with a tight suplex and a cannonball in the corner. And in that moment, I started thinking, well, we're going to have a match here. Because these can, these can both these women can go. This is where they're going to kind of change the course of the tournament and give us something. That was not the case. Baszler countered a move by sliding down Dewdrop's shoulders into the Kirafuda clutch. Dewdrop eventually tossed her off, but missed her running splash. Baszler then locked in the Kirafuda clutch a second time, and I basically assumed she was going to win. But Dewdrop absorbed it for like 30 seconds, would not tap out, would not go to sleep, and then put all of her weight backwards onto her back, forcing Baszler's shoulders onto the mat for the one, two, three in a finish in two minutes and 49 seconds. And I will say, the finish was inventive there. The booking of these two matches in terms of the storylines and the finishes were fine. But the match time, I mean, I'm not going to go on the same rant again and take 20 minutes, but what are we doing here? These shows are two and a half and three hours respectively, and these matches combined for under six minutes. They should be getting six minutes each at a minimum. There were six matches in Queen's Crown. None of them lasted longer than three minutes. What a sad and pathetic excuse for a tournament. What is WWE doing here? Why are they doing it? We discussed some of that earlier. It's honestly just pathetic. It doesn't make sense. It is absolutely, positively shameful. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yep. I, I mean, you go through this effort to do the tournament, and you're going to put almost no effort into it whatsoever. It's it's pretty... Um... It's pretty ridiculous. That that said, I I was surprised by the result. I don't hate it. I like Dewdrop. She can really go. I just wish they could have gone and really like you want to get Dewdrop over. Winning two minute matches is not going to do it. Have her have a classic match with Shayna, and then she wins, and you're like, oh, this Dewdrop person who has a weird name, I should be paying attention to her. 
we, we don't have any reason to believe in her yet. Also, I thought Shayna was going to win because Shayna was wearing the pink instead of the black she'd been wearing for a long time. It felt like this was Shayna in the big game, you know, new look and is going to go through. She was she was my pick to win it. So um surprised at, at the result there. But um, yeah, just again, wish we got more from them. Well, what's amazing to me is that in this tournament, which was not stacked, but they could have given us Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler in the finals. It was set up for that. When you mm-hmm. looked at that bracket, that's what you thought would happen, right? Like, how could it be anything but that? And instead of Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler, one woman and Liv Morgan, who the fans love and want to see be successful, and another woman in Shayna Baszler, who the fans also like, but she's obviously a heel. Um, but we know she has incredible talent and she can be a main eventer in the women's division. Instead, we get Zelina Vega, who barely wins matches, and Dewdrop, who does, you know, she's deserving, nothing wrong with her, but we haven't been given a reason to believe in her, which is what you just said. And no offense to both of them, but unless these two, the other two, Liv Morgan and Sheena, refuse to go over to Saudi Arabia, which is plausible, let's not forget. I believe talent is given a choice. Whether they want whether they want to go or not, but when you have that as an option, and you wind up with Zelina Vega and Dewdrop, it's trash booking. It's really poor. There's really no other way to put it. As far as a prediction for the match, look, could you get Queen Dewdrop and have her parade around and do comedy and all that? I think you could. This seems completely to me set up for Zelina Vega to win, for her to prop herself up with that Queen gimmick to be all high and mighty. And you know what? It may also be a make good for the shit they pulled on 9-11 when they didn't let her have her match in Madison Square Garden. So I have every reason to believe Zelina Vega is going to be the first Queen's Crown tournament winner. I, I'm, I'm picking Zelina too. It, it would have been nice for her to, you know, kind of have some wins. And, you know, they talk so much about momentum, have some momentum coming into the tournament. I don't know if she'd won a match before this or it might have been a, a, a one or two. I think she beat Liv, Liv Morgan. Morgan before Liv was going to fight Carmella on the pay-per-view and I went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that was it. But um, she's a fine winner. It's just again, we got it. This whole tournament has been so completely random. You feel like no one's getting no one's getting any kind of boost from this, which is the whole point of doing a tournament is to elevate a lot Correct. of people. No and one has been elevated. elevated any, by, no one has been elevated anybody. by this at all. You're right. You're right. You nailed it. I mean, even not forget this King of the Ring, which we're going to talk about in a moment. The last King of the Ring we got, you can say, hey, look, it sucked that Chad Gable became Shorty G. It did. It was a terrible gimmick, right? But for the period of the tournament, Chad Gable got elevated. Baron Mm -hmm. Corbin got elevated. And then when Corbin beat Gable, it was a big deal. Like Mm -hmm. that match banged and it it mattered. That has not been nothing that has happened in Queen's Crown has mattered. Literally zero. And it's purely booking based. Was the roster as good as it could have been? No. But they had Tony Storm, they had Liv Morgan, and they had Shayna Baszler all in there, all ready to be pushed to a upper mid-card level. And none of them are in the final. It's yep. It's just purely terrible booking. Okay, yep. let's go to the King of the Ring, which is kind of the exact opposite, if we're being honest, of the Queen's Crown Tournament this year. We're going to start on SmackDown, where we got Finn Balor against Sami Zayn. Balor said he wanted to shut up Zayn and restore honor to the crown. Balor hit his Topic on Hero in a big spot early, then later caught Zayn flying with a dropkick. Zayn came back with a blue thunderbomb for a near fall, plus an exploder suplex, but Balor avoided the Huluva kick. 
Zane halted the coup de gras and got caught with his feet on the ropes during a roll-up. Balor came back with a sling blade and missile dropkick, but Zane avoided the coup de gras. Balor countered an exploder into a double stomp, got two more missile dropkicks, and finally hit the coup de gras for the win. This was a tremendous match. Every King of the Ring match to this point has at least at a bare minimum been good, but this was the best of the bunch. The number one match in the tournament for me. Four stars and an A-. minus. It had the potential for more if it went even longer, though it got plenty of time. Balor, of course, had to win, given Sammy is literally not allowed to enter Saudi Arabia as a Syrian. But still, it was the right booking. And we talk about the Queen's Crown tournament not getting anyone over. The King of the Ring tournament is getting Finn Balor over even more than he already was. And it's rehabbing the bullshit that we got with that demon fiasco. Yes, exactly. Like, like there was clearly a purpose for Finn Balor. We, you know, we just said there was no purpose for the women in, in their tournament. There is clearly something, you know, you can do here. And the match was great. Uh, you knew it would be. It feels good. to. See. It was a fresh matchup, guys. We haven't seen together in a long time. This was, ex- this was everything you want out of the King of the Ring was, was this match right here. It was. And then over on Raw, we got Xavier Woods against Jinder Mahal. Woods put over a bunch of former WWE Kings. I did pop when he mentioned King Mabel, I will say. Uh, And winning, he said winning is his destiny and decreed that he would take the whole thing. Mahal countered Woods, stepped through DDT into a gutbuster for a near fall. Mahal caught Woods flying with the Coloss, but Xavier rolled to the ropes before the pin so he could grab the rope to break the fall. Jinder then went for an avalanche Coloss, but Woods knocked him down and hit his tight rope elbow drop three quarters of the way across the ring, by the way, Mm -hmm. for the win. Woods celebrated with the cape and scepter and even did a James Brown impression when Kofi put the (laughs) cape over his shoulders, but he did not touch the crown. Look, you're never going to get a great match with Jinder, but they worked really well together. And I was genuinely surprised and happy that Xavier won and is getting this match against Finn Balor. Balor versus Woods on pay-per-view is going to absolutely bang. So look, credit where it's due. Because WWE booked King of the Ring quite well with an exciting final. Yeah, Vince, you get a little credit. This has been a damn good uh, tournament. Yeah, no, I was also honestly surprised Xavier won because we talked about it last week when they had set up Xavier Kofi and didn't do it. And you're like, well, does that mean is that because Ginger's going to win? And you, you, you would think a Ginger Finn final would make sense. We immediately assumed the worst. Yeah, you know, no, and, and and so as a result, you know, what they did was good. I still don't think it's better than what they could have done. I still think Xavier Kofi telling that story on this episode of Raw, absolutely, Xavier winning would have given you the same result, and it would have been more fun, and it would have been good as well. So it certainly wasn't bad what they went with. I just this was the this was the one opportunity to have a new day person versus a new day person, and it doesn't have to be acrimonious. Like like it can just. It's two friends. Xavier says, this is my world title. I've got to win this. And they have a great match. And Kofi says, oh, Xavier, you're great. You know, here's a world champion, Kofi Kingston, putting over his friend who beat him. Like, that gets Xavier over more than beating Jinder. It just does. I know Jinder's a former world champ. but So is Kofi. Over- no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if, if Kofi had done that for, for Xavier, it's more, than, it just, it's more than beating Jinder. It just is. So it worked out. I, I'm glad Jinder didn't win but still annoyed that they didn't do Xavier Kofi. It, it was right there for them. You know, Xavier pins Kofi, immediately hugs him, 
uh, Kofi cheers on Xavier, puts the cape on him. Like you, you could literally have done the exact same thing, but given us a one-time only match that we will probably never see and have it make total storyline sense. You're 100% right. So it was disappointing. But man, Xavier Woods winning, like what a treat. Like how mm-hmm. exciting is this, right? They're actually doing it. They're giving him the opportunity. It's cool. Really quick before we talk about the match uh, at the pay-per-view, on Raw, we had Balor against Mace. Balor won in a couple minutes after hitting all of the signatures in the coup de gras. Balor and Woods then stared each other down, talked some trash on the set, it got heated. There was no point at all to this match. Balor wasn't a member of Raw yet, and they literally just took time away that could have been used for the Queen's Crown match that directly preceded it. The face-off with Woods could have happened the exact same way after Xavier's match with the exact same effect and the exact same booking. I did like the trash talk. This whole thing was just misplaced. They should have done it right after Xavier's match and given the women more time. As far as predicting King of the Ring, Finn Balor versus Xavier Woods. This is actually really tough. This is one of those situations where the heart and head are telling me two totally different things. The heart says this needs to be Xavier Woods getting the achievement, winning King of the Ring. But while the heart says Woods, the head says Finn Balor. This is the guy you're trying to rehab after the demon shit we just talked about. You're attempting to make him, it seems, into a true main eventer and future WWE champion on Raw. That is what I'm taking from the draft and the way they've been booking him recently. They see that this guy is a main eventer and they're finally coming around to it. So with all of that said, I don't think you pass up the opportunity to have Finn Balor, the prince, become the king. And I think Finn wins king of the ring. And maybe Xavier gets it next year. I, I feel the same way. I, I, I just, I can't see WWE picking Xavier Woods over him in, in, in the spot. And it's tough. I, I, I want Xavier to win. I love, see, I love that we have a, a match in a final that we don't know who's going to win. And you, you can make a case for both of them. And that's fresh and exciting. And it's a matchup we don't see ever. So, like, this is, like you said, this is exactly what the King of the Ring tournament's supposed to be. Basically, the way the men's one has played out. Would have loved more time. Would have loved more, maybe some more matches. Maybe a little bit more emphasis outside of the matches. But you're elevating people. And in the end, I, I'm going to pick Finn as well. For, for that. Just, they know he's a main event guy. I don't think they're going to have him lose it, you know, a month after the whole turnbuckle thing. So uh, it, it feels like a make good. And, and I think they do it. It feels like it was planned. Where yeah. they said, hey, you know, we're going to do this. It's going to be shitty, but we're going to make him king. So it'll be OK. I, again, you could have just we don't need to get into the whole thing. There are certainly ways you could have Roman win and do this whole thing the same way. Of course, of course, there's stupid is. turnbuckle. Of course there is. But. And that's and that's the baseline again of WWE that frustrates us. It's, you know, the booking isn't the, the idea isn't bad. Reigns beating the demon. Figure out a better way to do it. I mean, I wouldn't have done it at all, of course. Right. But if you're going to do it, you figure out a better way. Have Brock Lesnar be involved somehow. Um, or honestly, in that situation, Balor should have won the title. But. I don't want to get back into that entire rant, but it does seem like this is set up for him. And the idea that WWE on television now, previously it had never been established on TV, but now on TV, it's been established. Xavier Woods wants to be king of the ring. Mm -hmm. That is something they can now go back to. 
You know, is it, would we love to see him win it on his first try? Of course we would. But if they're going to do this every year, and I hope they do, and honestly, even if it's used for blood money in the sand, the idea of doing the King of the Ring tournament and having a final be at a pay-per-view where it matters like this, it's actually a good idea. So if they start doing this tournament annually, you have Xavier Woods win next year or the year after at some point in the next couple of years. Because you've established that this means the world to this guy, it's fine for him not to achieve it in his first attempt. Yeah, no, it's a great story. Uh, Xavier, this is his favorite thing. He came so close. A year later, he comes back and wins it. That's great. I, I that, That's exactly what they should do. I just don't think WWE's planning a year out. They're not. Either, yeah. either to do the King of the Ring again or to have Xavier win it. Or even if they, they are, even if they said, hey, this is what we're going to do, a year from now, who knows if that's yeah. going to be the case yeah. when they have Keith Lee lose to Baron Corbin and then, then they need to build up Keith Lee again. Yeah, so they it, it could certainly yeah. change. So I, they, they, they may tell Xavier, hey, you're going to lose, but you win next. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put much stock into that if that's, what they, if, that, if that's the thought process. For sure. Okay, let's keep going. A few more matches and there are big ones. Uh, Bobby Lashley against Goldberg in a no-holds-barred match. In Raw, they had a no-holds-barred interview, which was very corny. Uh, it was a split-screen deal. Goldberg said he wasn't threatening Lashley's life. He was making promises. Lashley said he's untouchable. Goldberg's not being a good example for Sunberg and that he'll make him ask for forgiveness. Lashley said no-holds-barred allows him to end Goldberg's career. This was overly scripted, and it was actually their worst interaction of all of the ones that we've had to this point. It wasn't terrible. It was just really, really boring. They should have saved the face-to-face from last week. For this week, I presume Goldberg did not want to travel twice in one week, which is understandable when you're getting paid uh, what he's getting paid for a certain number of appearances. I would have saved it. As far as the match goes, look, it's a non-title match now. Uh, the title being up for grabs or or involved was the reason initially. Like a month ago, we thought, oh man, it would really suck if Goldberg won the title. But they made it pretty clear right off the bat when they were doing the rematch, it was not going to be a title match. Goldberg is not only fighting, he's not only fighting in Saudi Arabia, but he's fighting for his son. Goldberg's winning. I don't even think it's a question. Yeah, yeah I agree. Gold, Goldberg wins here. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't catch the whole interview segment. I did see nothing that happened. they re- missed nothing. I I did say that I did see that they replayed the video package that includes Goldberg saying it's no holds barred, which means I have a license to kill. So as much as they want to, Goldberg tried to sort of backtrack that. The video package very much did not do that. Um, <laughs> well, no, and- he didn't even backtrack it. He was just like, he was just like ending your career isn't a threat; it's a promise. Like he's like, I'm going to yeah, kill you, I- but it's not a threat. It's just something that's going to happen. Okay. I'm gonna take your last breath. I think yeah. you may have said. Like, I don't know, but I know I I am looking forward to this. You know, I th- it was better than expected at was it was it SummerSlam, and yeah, you know when they've given Goldberg five seven minutes like the Brock match, like you can do basic stuff. It's like they only he can do he can punch and kick and do things that are not full on wrestling moves. Aside from his finishers, they just tell him to only do his finishers. So give him five minutes. I think he could be fine. And, and yeah, I think Goldberg wins. By the way, on this note, um, Chris Newman at Newman HD, he tweeted me during Raw last night. He goes, it seems like take my breath by the weekend is the official theme of blood money in the sand. Mm. Fun choice. 
That's pretty ridiculous. Jesus. Yeah. They have a show I, they have a show where they're having a no holds barred match with someone talking about killing the other person. The theme is take my breath. And there's also a hell in a cell match. I mean <laughs> we, we we talked about it last week. I mean, we talked about it toward the end of the last week's show if you didn't hear it, but just <laughs> it's it's very uncomfortable to, you know, to be watching Crown Jewel. You know, we call it blood money in the sand for a reason. Like it's it's you know, the whole, you know, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and, and everything that came with that. It's it's a very, very uncomfortable business situation. A lot of people pulled business out of Saudi Arabia. You know, when that happened, WWE didn't. And, um, and, and you know, there were boos before the last show, you know, in, in because of some of that stuff. And it's a very uncomfortable business relationship that they have. You know, we we, we are rooting for the wrestlers to have good matches and we support them and all that. But this whole thing just happening is uncomfortable and to have Goldberg talking about murder to have take my breath you know just it's it's uncomfortable the, and it's okay to recognize that what's especially difficult this year is in, in past years we could you know criticize it heavily right and shit all over it and then say you know what we don't even really care about the show because it's not going to be good and then we'd watch the show and it would be terrible and we'd be even further justified in everything that we were saying, it's booked bad. It's ruining WWE's main roster storytelling. All of this negativity on top of the true negativity, the biggest issue, them holding events in Saudi Arabia, given everything that has happened and you know likely will happen in the future. The problem this year is the card is really freaking good and I'm actually excited for the show. And it's very difficult to juxtapose that with all of the stuff I know I hate and that angers me to the core. And we're doing the podcast, so we know we have to cover it on top of it. It's a really difficult situation to be in going into this year's show, something that we've really not faced previously with these. Yeah, you know, a, a, a lot of being a wrestling fan is is compartmentalizing and not thinking about certain things and not thinking about how, you know, the health insurance situation for the wrestlers or, you know... Watching old wrestling, knowing guys were doing drugs and steroids and, you know, bad shit happened. And Dark Side of the Ring kind of brings a lot of this stuff back out. There's just kind of a a bit of a, I don't know, a cognitive dissonance where you're just, you like, you like some of it, you hate some of it. And it's just, it's okay to recognize both things and not think it has to be all one or the other. But, you know, you wish they weren't doing this crown jewel thing. You wish they didn't have this relationship with Saudi Arabia. But they do, and they put on a good uh, a card that matters relative to what we're watching, and so we talk about it. But you know, we can talk about it and not have to support it. You know, we already pay for Peacock, so it's not like they're getting any extra money from us for this and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's tough. That is part of it too. You know, would I pay if, if WWE was still on a pay per view system? Would I pay fifty dollars for this this year? Maybe in past years, absolutely not. I never would have. But it was part of my subscription, so. Right. I'm not going to watch it like at a protest. It's already, I'm already paying them. You know what I mean? So I I guess that was kind of part of it too, but it it just always hurts when we're talking about this. Like we should be honestly going crazy about this card, how good it is. Instead, we're kind of just operating like it's normal, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because of the circumstances surrounding everything. Let's keep going. We have a few more matches and they're the biggest ones, things we really need to talk about. We got to get out of here in a normal time. Uh, We have Seth Rollins against Edge inside Hell in a Cell. Edge opened SmackDown with an in-ring promo. There was a really long video package. He sat infuriated. Not that Rollins invaded his home, 
but that he spoiled it. He spoiled the comfort of, of his living situation. Edge recalled slapping John Cena's dad. He called back to that. And he admitted that Rollins is using Edge's playbook. Edge underestimated Rollins, the only one who can match him. He also admitted that Rollins is not Edge light and said he could repay the favor by visiting Becky Lynch and Rue if he wanted, but he's committed to leaving Rollins a husk of a man and scarring his soul. It was an expert tier promo from Edge. Nothing else to say about it. Completely sold the feud, the match, and the pay-per-view. It will be a nominee for promo of the year as far as I'm concerned. Rollins later answered, cackling at what Edge admitted. Rollins said he now has a mental advantage. His beatdown gave him the physical advantage, and he reiterated he's not scared of Hell in a Cell. This was nothing special until Rollins lost his mind about the cell, saying it scarred him and made him the man he is today, which is literally true from a kayfabe standpoint, because it refers to his character change after the Fiend debacle. So the continuity there was very welcome, and it turned an average promo from Rollins into a pretty damn good one at the end that sold the match well. So I have to say, you know, we thought this feud went on too long. It did go on too long. They probably did not need to do the match on SmackDown, but they wanted to make this a rubber match. They're using Hell in a Cell for an appropriate reason, not just because it's the name of a pay-per-view. And these guys are delivering both in the ring, on the mic, and in segments outside of the ring, Rollins going to Edge's home. This has been one of the best built storylines WWE has given us in a long time. And even though Edge, and I'm sorry, uh, Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio went on forever and there were elements of it we liked, elements of it we did not, this blows that out of the water because there's fewer matches. It's shorter. It's not on TV every week. And everything that we've gotten has been impactful. I am really, really freaking excited for Seth Rollins versus Edge. And I know there's a lot of good matches on this, but this could steal the show. It could. I mean, their match at uh, SummerSlam was perhaps the best on the card. It it was a great match. And, you know, it it seemed pretty clear that the feud had ended after that because they both cut promos basically saying they were done. But then the MSG show happens and they decide to bring it back. And I I, I missed Edge's promo live. I was traveling to Cincinnati for the weekend for for the football game. And I got in and I missed the first like half hour of SmackDown. Um, So I haven't seen the full promo. But, you know, it's just kind of there's nothing there was there's nothing really left to be said. You know, these guys have talked a lot. You know, they brought out their inner demons and gone to dark places and and whatnot. All I really need is just a great video package before this. Like, give this a WrestleMania quality video, you know, before the show that's going to really get me into it. That's the only thing that I need left, I I think, before this, because it's it's certainly deserving of one. Yeah, I'm just extremely, um, extremely excited about it. So, you know, as far as who's going to win, you know, there's two trains of thought here, right? One is Edge wins uh, the rubber match. Rollins invaded his home. Uh, Storyline standpoint, Edge is the legend. Rollins is the one still trying to become him. It's Hell in a Cell. They both have a lot of experience in here. You know, it makes sense for Edge to win. The other side is Rollins is about to move brands. He's about to go from SmackDown to Raw. In fact, they both are. Um... But the belief is Edge is probably not going to be around uh, for the next few months, probably not returning again, I would assume, until the Royal Rumble time and and WrestleMania season. He usually takes a few months off at a time. So if Edge is leaving, then why wouldn't you have Rollins win and propel him forward? So, you know, especially because he's going to be on Raw. I think what we've learned from this Seth Rollins character is that losses do not affect him. 
there he's basically immune to losing feuds. Mm-hmm. Um, he brushes it off. He comes up with a way in kayfabe to move on. And he does just that. So even though this should probably be a spot in which Edge puts Seth Rollins over, it would be fantastic rub for Rollins. It would be a great way to elevate him into the main event scene on Raw. Maybe make him the Royal Rumble contender for Big E's WWE Championship coming out of this. I actually don't think they do it. I think because it's in Saudi Arabia, it's Blood Money in the Sand Six, they want that really big old school name to get the win. And therefore, I'm going to pick Edge. But if this was at a different show at a different time, I might actually go with Rollins in this spot. You're you're right. You know, in in terms of pick between two, I'm going to go with Rollins because it's the end of the feud. You know, the, the Saudi Arabia crowd, they're already going to get, we pick Goldberg to win. They're getting Mansoor. I, I think I think they give Rollins this win as opposed to Edge um, in the home crowd. And I mean, yeah, not much to say. You laid out both sides of it. I'm just, I'm going to go with Rollins. Okay, let's move over to the WWE Championship. Big E against Drew McIntyre on Raw. We had Big E and McIntyre against the Dirty Dogs. Uh, the faces said they watched last week's footage of their match and admitted to both unnecessarily getting in the other's way. They agreed to coexist, and Big E did his really loud entrance, basically screaming it in Drew's face. I just want to say before we talk about the match, I really enjoyed that the wrestlers admitted to seeing what actually happened and acknowledged that they were wrong. Now, I know their faces <laughs> in this case, and it's Big E and Drew McIntyre, two of the biggest faces in the company, but that's good. Like To be able to look back on the footage and say, oh man, you really didn't punch me, and I'm sorry I took that the wrong way. Let's make sure we like forget about that and move forward together. That's great. That's real life, right? It's realistic. Mm-hmm. So I loved that. I hated that we got a rematch here, which we got two weeks ago, but I loved that backstage segment. Yeah, no, it was fun. Uh, it, it was a lot. Like I've enjoyed their general interactions be- between each other. I think they played off each other well. So yeah, that was fun. Okay. And then as far as the match goes, Big E missed a ring apron splash on Robert Roode, but caught Dolph Ziggler, threw him over the barricade. Roode then tossed him into the steps. Roode got a near fall after a neck breaker and did some push-ups for no reason whatsoever. I just wasn't sure. Uh, Biggie got singled out in the tag team match. Uh, McIntyre got the hot tag and tore apart the dogs with suplexes, neck breakers, and a combo Alabama slam. Rude hit a spine buster and the dogs combined for an assisted flying famouser for a near fall. They were both legal, the, both of the dogs, uh, Ziggler and Rude, for far too long. McIntyre then purposely tagged an E so he could hit the big ending for the win. They celebrated, got in each other's faces, shook hands, and kept pulling each other apart to talk trash or or pulling each other back to the other one to talk trash together. For a couple faces, this storyline and the build was solid. No one did a light heel turn. Uh, The can they coexist bullshit that we got, that's definitely trite. We get it all the time from WWE, but it was one of the better versions of it. It succeeded in getting me more excited for the match than I otherwise would have been. And it did create some competitive animosity without, again, affecting the actual character of the individuals. The match was good, too. I gave it three stars and a B minus. You know, nothing wrong with it. Uh, Nothing spectacular, but it was a pretty good action with four guys who can actually go. Normally, I'd let you get in and talk about the match before we move on. But the the pick here is so obvious. There is Mm -hmm. no freaking way Drew McIntyre is beating Big E when he's going over to SmackDown. And Big E is the WWE champion who just won the title and is staying on Raw. So Big E's definitely winning. For sure. Honestly, I think this could be the match of the night. 
I, I think back to... Well, 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 Chris, before you go on. Yeah. This match does have something going for it. It does. Big meaty man slapping me. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. It does. <laughs> and you were waiting for more. That's okay. <laughs> both of these, both of these guys thrive in these situations. I mean, I think about Drew and in the Drew Roman match that he had. You know, Drew is really good with big guys because he can do a lot of things that big guys can't do. I, I just his athletic ability for his size is a bit unique. And the same goes with Big E, you know, to spear out the, the, the ring and stuff like that. So I think this is going to be a banger. Big E's going to win for sure, but I think these guys are going to put on a show. And it's a match that I don't think we've seen before. And who knows when we'll ever see it again. So I, I think they go all out here and you don't save anything. I think it ends up being a heck of a match. Oh, this is no question going to be a banger because there's going to be a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And I, I should also note, Bobby Lashley, Goldberg, like, we should not sell that short. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently not. Gently, gently. Because, man, that match, no water, no bread, just beef. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And I, I don't really have, like, a prelude for this one, but there's only one sound drop left, so I might as well play it. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat. Inside the that was actually more appropriate for the Big E one. Uh, so my point is we sold Goldberg and Lashley short from the meatiness standpoint. So let's not forget, we, did. we got two matches, three. I'm sorry. We got three matches on this show that are truly big, meaty men bumping meat. And the, the last one's the main event, of course. Uh, I don't want to, you know, cut that one short either. Um, but look, you're right. This has the chance to completely over deliver in a totally different way than Seth Rollins and Edge inside Hell in a Cell. Um, in fact, all four of the main events of this pay-per-view can deliver in a major way. Any of them could be match of the night and I would not be surprised. That's just the truth. Like Reigns and Lesnar, we have Lynch, Banks, and Belair. We still have to talk about both of those. Biggie and McIntyre and Rollins and Edge. Any of those could be match of the night, match of the month. Any of them, honestly, could theoretically be a match of the year contender, not probably actually match of the year, but still, if these matches all get time on this pay-per-view, it's going to be pretty impressive. Yes. And let, let's hope they do. It's, it's the middle of the day. You know, I know it's late in Saudi Arabia. I don't know what, you know, what their time, uh, what their nights are like. So um, hopefully they give a lot of this stuff time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long the show is going to go. That's another thing. Right. It, this is so packed. It should be a four hour show. It really should be. Yeah, I, that's, that's you know, here's a question. Does the Queen's Crown final get over five minutes? It does. Um, it does not get over 10, though. I, I'm just, I'm looking at, like, what, what what matches on here go over 15? I mean, Roman versus Brock, for sure. Over Every, every match goes over 15, except for Queen's Crown, Raw tag and Mansoor Ali, which will probably be right at the 15 minute mark. Well, Roman Roman Brock's going to probably be 2025, 20, I, I, I think. So or, then you're looking or it's at, not, yeah, or it's the opposite, or they do like a Brock Goldberg type of booking. And by Maybe, the way, Bobby I, Lashley Goldberg will be under 15, also. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. That'll be yeah, nine. Sure. That'll be nine minutes, something like that, including entrances. Um, I mean, I don't know about that, but uh, it'll be nine minutes in the ring, I think. All right. 
Yeah, I mean, this yeah, this could easily be a four-hour show. Yeah, easily. I mean, there's so much left. Okay, uh, two main events, double main event, at least in my opinion. I mean, you could really pick whatever you want out of what we just read. SmackDown Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. Uh, we'll talk about SmackDown um, because, man, we had Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks as the main event. Sasha and Becky cut promos backstage. Bianca came out before the bell. Lynch dodged a meteora and Banks went double knees first into the ring post. Sasha did three amigos for a near fall and Lynch got one after a flying leg drop with Banks draped. Uh, Sasha pulled Becky's shoulder into the post and hit her meteora on the ring apron into the post again in the ring and then again flying off the top rope for a near fall. Lynch ate a backstabber then countered a sunset flip powerbomb outside with a leg drop on the ring apron. Sasha caught Becky flying off the steps with a bank statement and she tapped out, but it didn't count at ringside. Sasha hit a great frog splash for a near fall. Lynch added a back a backsploder, but the referee caught her feet on the ropes. She then hit a flying leg drop for a 2.5 count. So the Meteora and the leg drop, they kept going back and forth with the signature move. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Becky and Sa- Sasha each missed a bunch of moves. Lynch tried to punch Banks, but accidentally hit Belair at ringside. Sasha caught Becky with a Meteora off the announce table, but Lynch blocked a frog splash with double knees for another 2.5 count. Sasha blocked the disarmor, then countered the manhandle slam into a pinning combination near fall. She had a backstabber and a bank statement, but Becky made the ropes. Bianca then whipped Becky's arm as it hung outside the ring. They actually missed the spot, which was unfortunate. Um, And Lynch got distracted because of that. Sasha hit one more backstabber for the clean win over the champion in 18 minutes. Again, 18 minute match felt like it was 25 because it was absolutely nonstop. The crowd was hanging on every single move in this match. It was not loud, though the camera acoustics in that arena were weird all night, but it was clearly very, very engaged. The match was an absolute banger. I'm going to go 4.25 stars and an A. If you told me it was better than that, I would not argue with you. I loved how they tried to each hit their signatures in different ways. They gave us a clean enough finish as they could, given the circumstance of having this triple threat match. I was a bit surprised and dismayed to see Becky lose here as the champion in a non-title match. But considering she's moving over to Raw next week, I get at least what they were thinking. It's just not what I would have done. But this was an absolute banger of a match. Pay-per-view main event quality on any show. This could have been a WrestleMania match. Could have been a SummerSlam match. Obviously with a little bit more time and a clean finish. But this was incredible. I absolutely, as you can tell, loved it. Yeah, I, there's not much else to say. I mean, you laid out the whole match. It, it was great. And we got a finish. Like, it was an, it was a hidden interference finish, which is the kind of thing I mentioned is okay to do as opposed to the obvious disqualification interference. And it's it's a complete opposite of 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 the the the, the finish we got from Charlotte and Bianca, where it's just someone just being like, ah, no, nah, we're done. And in the match ends, this you got a pin, and it's fine. And guess what? No, Becky Lynch is not hurt by losing this match. You know why? Because she's Becky freaking Lynch. People can lose and be fine. So this was this was really good. Just really, really good stuff. It was weird afterward because it went from that into the Roman Brock thing without commercials that Adam Pierce comes up and starts telling people to put chairs and stuff in the ring. And it kind of yeah. deflated the moment a bit from the awesome women's match. Uh, but, you know, Still just tremendous job, by the way. They didn't get a chance to let it linger. It's something that AEW messes up all the time. They Mm -hmm. just immediately cut off of the match and go into another segment. And you're like, wait, I want to see like 
one person be relieved, another person be um, happy, another person be sad and angry. Like, you know, the reactions are just as much a part of wrestling as the wrestling itself. But man, oh man, like the main of these women's main events on SmackDown and Raw, incredible. Two great women's matches, top tier. Totally. It was awesome. Now, as far as this match goes, Chris, it's really tough. The one thing I do know is Bianca Belair is not winning the title. Uh, at least I don't think she is. Now, is there a scenario where Belair wins the title and then she literally swaps with Charlotte like we were talking about Becky doing with Charlotte? Right. I guess that's possible. I think it would be weird to do that in this triple threat scenario when you have both Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch going over to Raw. I think that would be strange. So because of that, and even going back to what we talked about earlier with what's Charlotte Flair going to do considering she retained the title, I think the booking I laid out is what's going to happen. In this match, I think we have Sasha Banks pin Becky Lynch to win the SmackDown Women's Championship. And that gives her the title as the strongest woman still remaining on SmackDown, with Charlotte Flair, of course, coming in. Then, Raw on Monday, I think Flair is forced to defend the title. She puts it up against Bianca Belair. Belair beats her. Flair goes over to SmackDown as no longer the champion. That's what I think is going to happen. I could totally see it being any other way. I could see Becky retaining by pinning Sasha. Given that they're not going to be on the same show, it probably doesn't matter. I could see Bianca Belair winning and them doing the trade that we talked about. I think what I laid out is the most likely of the three scenarios. It's... It's tough, and that, that's why this whole drafting just makes this all so weird. When you have, again, we mentioned it last week, I think, specifically named Raw and SmackDown titles as opposed to Universal titles and women's titles or, or, or whatever um, makes it a little bit harder, I think. I think Becky wins. I, I, I think they keep that going, and then what plays out, like you said, Bianca probably beats charlotte on monday it's tough like bianca's not winning this because she's dealing with three different heels you know around her in this whole picture it doesn't make sense to put her over quite yet monday would make more sense you know you kind of set her up that way as as different people are going different ways um having bianca win in this situation given you know going to raw would make it a bit weird so I, I I think what happens is similar to what you said, but I think Becky gets I think Becky wins. If Bianca Belair takes the fall in this match, are you going to be upset? Um, in the moment, yes, but I could totally see it happening in a way where Bianca gets pinned and then comes back and wins on Monday, like they so often do with Money in the Bank cash-ins and stuff like that. Someone loses in the show and then comes back to cash-in, something they kind of typically do. So in the moment, I'm going to be annoyed Bianca wins. I don't think it changes what I think could happen, but I, I think I, I think she's the one who could probably least afford to get pinned. Sasha is made, you know, she can take the pin and be fine, just like Becky took the pin on SmackDown. So... You don't need to do it. I certainly think it's possible they do it as a way to make good with her winning on Monday. I think for me, it's circumstantial. Um, there was a Elimination Chamber match back in the day where John Cena entered as the WWE champion and he was the first person eliminated. And in order to do that, he took finishers from three different guys. 
He took like a spear from Edge, uh, um, a 619, I think, from Rey Mysterio and like another move from someone else, right? Maybe an RKO, whatever the case. And they beat him. They, they took him down so heavily with finishers that he got pinned and you're like, oh, wow, of course he got pinned. He ate three finishers, right? If they did something like that with Bianca Belair, where she takes the backstabber, Becky throws Banks out of the ring, hits the manhandle slam, um, or hits the Bexploder and then hits the manhandle slam and pins Bianca, I think I could stomach it, right? But you, you, she yeah, really but should that, not if, take the fall, though. If that happens, you're going to have a lot of people say she's made to look like a chump again, and people are going to be mad if that's what they do. Because she's not John Cena. She's not made like John Cena. People, you know, it, it, she can't just deal with that, at least in the eyes of a lot of people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the moment people would be upset. I think if she came back four days later and cut a promo on Raw and was basically like, look what it took to beat me. You know, no woman can just beat me easily. You know, Charlotte, blah, blah, blah. Challenges beat Charlotte for the flair for the title. I don't know. I think that would work out. I, I, I wouldn't pin Belair. I was just kind of curious yeah. what you thought about that possibility. Okay, let's move on to what is surely going to be the main event of the show, the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Brock Lesnar. On SmackDown, we had a contract signing. There was a long and very well done promo package, mostly centered around Paul Heyman, as this feud really has been to this point. It makes one think Heyman is going to factor into this finish for sure. WWE rushed the table set up in the ring after the women's main event, as you noted, which was weird. The show was commercial free, but they could have cut a promo backstage or cut away or done something to do, allow yeah, them. Do a video, do a video or just have, or just put the camera on Cole and, and yeah. McAfee, which, which they eventually did, but they made a point to have Pierce get on the microphone and say, get in here and do it. You don't need to do that. Like just, it was you like, get the just, women out of the way. Let's get the men in here. Like that's what it felt like to me. It was very strange the way they did. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, but again, the show was commercial free. They, they could have done something else. Rain's entrance took forever. Uh, even though there was limited time left. Lesnar stormed to the ring, put his feet on the desk. Reigns stood, but refused to sit at the head of the table, which was a nice touch. Heyman yes. counseled Reigns to sign, so the champion did. Lesnar then just signed casually, like right in the middle of the paper with a big signature, while staring at Reigns with a smirk on his face. Reigns called Lesnar a dumbass for not reading the contract, but Lesnar told him he read it in the morning with his advocate, Paul Heyman. The crowd popped, then Lesnar stood up and laughed as he walked out with Reigns looking confused. The last few minutes of SmackDown were a match card preview of Crown Jewel. Uh, that was weird. The show basically then ended two minutes early at 10.28. I thought that was strange. This was a strong SmackDown, the best since the Madison Square Garden show, as I said earlier. And you can actually argue it may have been better than that due to the match quality. But the ending with this, it was a disappointment to me. I know Lesnar usually does nothing on TV appearances, but to go there and say 12 total words to me, that was weak. Reigns and Heyman were great from an acting standpoint. The progression of the story has been simple and solid with Lesnar playing big time mind games with both Reigns and Heyman. And then going into the match, you know, Heyman even tweeted something. He goes, I'm going to walk in with the Universal Heavyweight Champion and I'm going to walk out with the Universal Heavyweight Champion, right? He, he doesn't say it was going to be Reigns. So they're really right. playing into this idea that Heyman's going to do, I think, what he did to Lesnar back in the day with Big Show, where he screwed Lesnar over and left with Big Show as his new manager and as the world heavyweight champion. They're basically playing into him doing that again with Reigns and Lesnar this time. Is that going to be what happens? I don't know exactly. 
But I didn't feel like, despite the Lesnar line being very good, I didn't feel like this go-home segment was done well. Um, I, It was weird how it ended, but I liked it in the moment. I mean, Brock delivered that line so well. Uh, just like, that was my advocate, Paul Heyman. And <laughs> with a big smile on his face, I left. I like Brock when he talks. Brock can be a good talker if he keeps it short and sweet. And that's what he did there. And Roman Reigns' facial expressions throughout all every Brock moment have been so good. From the moment he arrived to this, it's the only time he doesn't look confident. It's the only time he looks scared. When John Cena first shows up, Roman isn't scared. He's mostly just annoyed at him. He smiles during the promos when Cena's cutting promos on him. With Brock, he's uncomfortable. And it's such a great job by him to paint the moment and how this moment is different than the other situations he's been in. You mentioned the Paul Heyman, Big Show, Lesnar thing. I was thinking back to when he turned on CM Punk uh, in, in a Money in the Bank, which led to Lesnar versus CM Punk down the road. I Do we want to get into our predictions here now? Go for it. I think Heyman sets up as if he's about to turn on Roman in this match and then turns on Brock and then Roman wins. I think he's been, he has indeed been playing both of them the whole time, but he, he does sign side with Roman in the end as what was his grand plan. And I think, uh, I think Roman comes out with uh, Paul Heyman's help. I think that's exactly dead on. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to have the exact same booking idea, but that's what I think happens. I think the whole it's revealed at the end of this that Heyman has been playing both sides, but he's been doing it with Roman Reigns' knowledge. Like yeah. once Lesnar came back, Heyman maybe, you know, convinced Reigns, hey, look, no, I didn't have anything to do with it, but let's use this to our advantage. Let's make him think that you're actually bothered by all of this. You know, let's play it up for the crowd. And, you know, he thinks he's going to help him. Now, Heyman, you know, credit where it's due for both Lesnar and Reigns, he doesn't get involved in the matches. He doesn't pull people's legs. He doesn't put legs on ropes. He doesn't hit them with a title at ringside. He does not do any of those things. He didn't do it for Brock and he doesn't do it for Roman, mostly because those guys are super strong and you don't want them to look like they need a manager's help or an advocate's help or whatever his new title is. Um, What's his new title? Uh, 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 I mean, they call him the wise man, but that's not it. It's a shoot. Why am I forgetting this? He was the counsel. advocate to Brock Lesnar. Special counsel. Special, special counsel to the tribal chief. Uh, whatever his title is. Um, you know, he doesn't act like a corny heel manager who cheats to win, right? And that's part of his charm. It's part of the greatness of Paul Heyman in this role that he's been doing. I don't know how that would relate to this, how it would affect the booking of this where he, like Lesnar thinks he's on his side, but he's actually not. Maybe it's a brass knuckles or a title belt type of thing if the referee gets knocked out, something like that. But I think the booking is solid, what you're saying. And I do believe that's how it's going to go, where at the end of the day, we're going to learn Heyman was always with Reigns and he's going to retain the title. Maybe it's a disqualification. It seems like this is a long-term story that WWE wants to tell, that this thing is going to go all the way to WrestleMania. It looks like the Rock WrestleMania thing is going to get pushed off. Uh, with Reigns maybe for another year. If they're going to have Reigns be the champion for two and a half years, I I can't even fathom that, but maybe they do. Um, But it does seem like this is going to get pushed off and this is not going to be 
the end of Brock Lesnar's return. He, he signed a new deal, so he's back. Uh, so therefore, I just cannot see a situation where after all Roman Reigns has been through in this entire failed face push, all the Brock Lesnar matches that were failures, not that they weren't good, not that they weren't well wrestled, but they couldn't put him over. Vince could not put Roman over at WrestleMania because he was getting vociferously booed. And then they did the match. I think it was in Crown Jewel, the Hell in, the Hell in a Cell or the uh, Cage yes, match, where Reigns actually won and it would have worked, but they didn't have him win because Lesnar was supposed to have won because the cage broke. And they finally put Reigns over Lesnar, utilizing Braun Strowman as part of it to like get the crowd so amped up that when Reigns won, they couldn't boo him. I don't think they went through all of that shit, all of that consternation over years of time to finally make Roman Reigns the top heel in the company and a total shock to us, the top of the business, arguably the wrestler of the year, just to have him lose to Brock Lesnar again. If they do, I cannot imagine the scenario in which Lesnar wins unless it's with Heyman. It ha- it almost has to be Roman Reigns retaining here. Yeah, it, it, it has to. And if you set it up, I... Heyman betraying Lesnar, you know, a couple months you bring back a pissed off Lesnar and then everybody's even more excited to see Brock um, when that happens. So, yeah, Roman winces. God help us if he doesn't. If if they really end the the reign here with this and crown jewel with Brock Lesnar. In Saudi Arabia on Thursday afternoon with Brock Lesnar. Come on. I'm going to freak the fuck out if that happens, but I don't think they're going to do it. That would be just... I I didn't even mention that that scenario. Right, the scenario of it happening yeah. at three forty-five on a well, Thursday I, I, afternoon in Saudi I mean, the, Arabia. <laughs> the fiend, the fiend won the title in Saudi Arabia, right? The fiend is not Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. No, but I'm just saying. That, so they have had a title change. Oh, absolutely, in Saudi but Arabia. Uh, absolutely, it's not unprecedented. But, but they did that because WWE screwed up Hell in a Cell so badly, where Rollins retained. Where they said, "Man, we got to fix this." It was the next show. They booked a match and they gave the fiend the title. He was not yeah. supposed to win the title on that show. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, all, all that buildup. Don't don't think it's happening. Oh, the other thing about Heyman is that you know he he he's been in the background for this Roman storyline for a year and a half now. Only now is he really like at the forefront. It, it's been notable because like when 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 Heyman's with Brock, Heyman's at the front. He hasn't been with, with Roman. He's let Roman carry this. So this is a rare moment when Heyman has kind of stepped out from that role. And I think he does this, you know, helps Roman. And then he probably moves back to the back again. And I think largely it's, look, we know Lesnar can can talk and cut promos, but he, he speaks short, right? In very concise manners that, that get his point across really well. But you need in this position as a world champion, someone to talk. And that's why Heyman is so great with Lesnar. With Reigns, he can go on his own, especially now that he's gained so much confidence on the mic, more than he ever, ever had in his entire career, yeah. that you don't really need Heyman to do it. Or when you do, Heyman's punctuating it. And that's why this has worked now so well with Roman Reigns. So it's going to be a great match. Chris, the last part of our ultimate preview here is our pre-show expectation grade. Uh, I think I always let you go first on these, or really whenever we do grading. So why don't you go ahead, tell us what you expect crown jewel to be from an A to an F. And just a reminder for everyone listening, you will have a chance to give us your own pre-show expectation grade starting one hour before crown jewel on Thursday. That's 11 a.m. Eastern. We will post a poll on our Twitter account at getting overcast. 
You can vote. You can tell us what you expect from the show. And then, of course, we'll do a post-show poll after where you can tell us uh, what you thought of the show after it concludes. Chris, what is your pre-show expectation grade for Crown Jewel? I'm right between a B plus and an A minus. Um, and honestly, I, I'm leaning B plus because I'm picking all the champions to retain. And 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 so I don't know if I think it's going to be a great wrestling show, but I don't know how much consequential stuff is going to come out of it in the end. So it might be lower than you'd expect, given the quality of the card. I think the wrestling is going to be incredible. But I think in the end, there's not going to be a a ton of, there's not major title changes or anything in my pick. So I'm actually going to go B+. So I think you're off base. Not I mean, you said you're on the edge, so that's fair, right? But I think you're off base in that title changes are necessary for a show to be great. I, I, I believe it's nice to have them. But if you have awesome matches and good storytelling, which WWE largely does in certain situations uh, in this card, most notably, of course, Edge and Seth Rollins and the main event with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. If you have all the other elements, a really good show, a great presentation, a good crowd, great matches, you don't need title changes. Now, of course, that said, my predictions include a title change, a big title change. So because of that, maybe I'm viewing it a little bit differently than you. For me, it was not between an A- and a B+. It's between an A and an A-, minus because this card is absolutely stacked. I cannot get over what this card looks like. This is a WrestleMania card through and through. Top to bottom, it really is. Maybe I mean, sorry, top to middle. Uh, the bottom of the card, the Queen's Crown and, and Mansoor and Ali. And of course, that would not be on the pay-per-view. But every other match is a pay-per-view quality match. So I'm going into it with very high expectations, despite historically being really maddened and disappointed at these garbage shows that we've got over in Saudi Arabia. I think WWE, the way they've booked it, the way they've built the card, I think they are determined to give us a really good show in Crown Jewel here. So because it's in Saudi, it's a Thursday afternoon. um, And because to your point, there may not be that many impactful booking decisions. I'm not going to go with the flat A. I will say A minus. But I definitely think going in, given the way WWE has performed on pay-per-view over the last 14 months and the strength of this card, I think you absolutely have to be in the A range going in. I've changed my mind. I, I, I've changed my mind. You've talked me into it, <laughs> but not but not for the reasons you said. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm looking back through this card and what we're getting. And I, I, we're not getting title changes, but we are getting two new titles. We're getting a Queen's Crown and we a are. King of the Ring, for one. And two, there's just a, there's a lot of unique matchups on here or match matchups that will be really good. Finn Balor versus Xavier Woods. Not a typical match we see. That makes me extra excited for it. Big E versus Drew. Very much the same thing. Not a match we see. I think it's going to be match of the night. I'm excited for that. We know that the women's match is going to be good because of people involved. We know Roman versus Brock is always good. And we know Edge versus Seth will be good. So the the track record of these matchups versus plus the uniqueness of some of the other matchups I'm actually going to change that to an A-. 
Yeah, I just think it's going to be a banger of a show. I really do. Uh, the, the work rate ability for some of these matches, again, there's four matches, five, theoretically, that could be in a match of a year conversation. Now, I don't think they're going to be, but they could be. It's the talent. It's the potential. Um, this Finn Balor-Xavier Woods match, we might be surprised at how good this match is. I mean, I know they're both great workers, but given how much is on the card, I don't think they're going to let them tear the house down. Maybe they do, right? Yeah. So I, I just think this is going to be an outstanding show. Um, from it, it, it looks to be an outstanding show from a booking perspective. But again, I don't care what the card looks like. If you don't deliver on Thursday, you don't deliver. I'll shit all over this. But the last one, I don't even remember what I gave it. I probably gave it a D or a D minus. So from that to this, the quality of the card, if you look at them head to head, it's night and day. This is a big two pay-per-view card. The other Crown Jewel and other Saudi Arabia events, Blood Money and the Sand events, they have not been that way. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just like, it's not just, oh, you know, these are big names against each other. It's either big names who we haven't seen fight each other or big names who have a track record of having good matches against each other. And, and that's what gets me extra excited. Exactly. Okay, so... That is our ultimate preview for WWE Crown Jewel. A reminder, of course, that we will have those polls, as mentioned, on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. And we will also be back Thursday as soon as WWE Crown Jewel goes off the air, or at least whenever we're able to cut the podcast, given the time of day, uh, with an instant analysis show for you. Because of that, the AEW and NXT show that normally airs on Thursday, it will be published Wednesday, you know, afternoon-ish. Uh, so you'll be able to hear thoughts from Dynamite Rampage and this week's latest edition of NXT one week before NXT Halloween happened. Uh, so yeah, that is really it for today. Loaded show. We did go a little bit long, so let me get us out of here. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please remember that Getting Over... So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Tell people how much you love the show, how excited you are for our instant analysis coming up on Thursday. So that's it. I'll leave you all uh, to enjoy this week in wrestling for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. We will see you on Wednesday and again on Thursday. But at this point, I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.